I have to put this away. I, was, I, I found I found a floss container to play with, and that was I was already like, that's too loud. That's not. Gonna be <laughs> yeah, sometimes when I'm re- when I'm editing the podcast, like <laughs> I'll just hear little like clicks occasionally. <laughs> I'm like, dang it, Marshall! Definitely me doing something. My hands have. Why to do you busy. always gotta be messing with stuff? <laughs> I've been that way ever since I was born, dude. No, I know. I know that you have to do it, so I don't want to be like Marshall. Be in complete silence. I, yeah, I try to. I try to find quiet things to fidget with. Right now, it's a USB little dongle thing. That's yep. <laughs> so it's better. Uh... Let's flip for it, Ian. Call it in the air. Heads or tails? Um, it's in the air. Tails. All right. It was a USB dongle, so it was <laughs> probably heads. Yeah, the lo- it was the non-logo side, so we're going to call that tails. So you introduce us, Ian. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Paths of Fear, the weekly podcast where we give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. The more you know. I'm Ian. I'm Marshall. And this week's winner for the classic slasher showdown is the original Halloween. Halloween was an independent film made in 1978. It was directed by John Carpenter, who co-wrote the screenplay with Deborah Hill. John Carpenter is also responsible for the iconic score found in this movie. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. I can all I can always rely on you when it comes to an accurate, <laughs> an accurate reproduction mm. of music simply yeah. with your voice. <laughs> Ian was actually going to do this podcast with another friend, but he could not keep up with the vocal styles of horror music. So that's right. That's what that's what really shifted the balance yeah. in your favor. <laughs> the other guy was like Rob Zombie, but like. <laughs> He just comes, <laughs> actually Rob Zombie probably could do that a lot better. <laughs> he is a musician. I've made a mistake. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little teaser, Ian, and then we'll we'll kind of give our ratings and get into it? Sure. Sounds good. All right. It's October thirty first, nineteen seventy eight, the fifteenth anniversary of the murder of Judith Myers in the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois. High school friends, Lori, Annie, and Linda, have their evening plans in order. Lori plans to babysit while Annie and Linda intend to see their respective boyfriends. Meanwhile, an old Haddonfield resident has returned to town, eager to complete what he started 15 years ago. As back doors lie open, a shadow looms over the small town. One thing becomes clear this won't be just any halloween did you pronounce the s in illinois is that a thing maybe (laughs) that that caught me off guard i was like hold on what but i think i've heard it pronounced like that too so i think that could be a whole nother episode we have but we won't get i I was actually debating that while looking at my summary i'm like illinois (laughs) or illinois 
I go with Illinois, but I... It's got to be Illinois. I think I said that wrong. I, I want to say it's Illinois because it sounds uh, native in its origin. It's got to be Illinois. But at the same time, I know very little, so it could easily be Illinois. <laughs> that sounds wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Illinois now, but regardless. Uh, so what did, you, what did you end up giving this movie, Ian? I mean, you might find this to be a little harsh. I ended up giving it a 3 out of 10. Okay. What's the disconnect for you? Well, there were very important parts of this movie that were hard to lean into uh, that I guess even if I'm leaned in, they sort of brought me out of it. Yeah. And those important moments were the death scenes. The performance there, which I think is a flaw probably in both the directing and the acting. Um, but regardless, those scenes are really unbelievable and not in the good unbelievable way in the bad unbelievable way uh they just they really missed the mark on creating a dramatic or impactful death uh and were overall quite silly and uh made it difficult to enjoy the movie because those parts were important given the story yeah i hear that um and yeah, the, I think the acting is oftentimes rough in these older movies. Uh, mm-hmm. It is where we get to see Jamie Lee Curtis shine as the daughter of the Scream Queen. Lots of people call her the Scream Queen, but I think it's her mom that was the Scream Queen. Uh, oh. Because her mom was in Psycho, which is like kind of treated as almost the original slasher, but it's not really a slasher. I guess with its one shower scene, it kind of I mean, yeah, it really creates... did define the Scream. Oh, yeah, it just creates the slasher genre right yeah. there. Uh, I felt like overall it held it holds up pretty okay, and it does it does so much right because it sets so much for future slashers. It set up the body dump. It set up the um the one last get up. Except for Myers, it was like I'm gonna get up five more times because I'm Myers. <laughs> um, and it uh it set up just kind of a haunting in a way, and it was it was good. It. I think that over time we've come to refine it and as an audience we're kind of a little spoiled because we have that refined like kind of like because there was no pre- there wasn't a real precedent for this. So mm-hmm. um, we've seen a whole lot of slashers that have that precedent so they know what to do better. Um, sadly, so many slashers don't do better today. Uh, yeah, but there are plenty that do better and it's because they have that behind them. So overall. That yes, I think it gets a little snoozy at times, but it's really pretty solid for a movie of its time. While it sets all that up, uh, it also means that everything in this movie is now a trope of sorts. Yeah. Um, kind of like what you were saying about how the modern audience has been spoiled in that way, and that uh people have been able to iterate on these tropes uh, to use them in different ways to be more effective with them. And that makes this movie uh, not age well with time uh, because you've simply seen it done better. Um, and so that uh, even given the the standalone weaknesses within the show, such as the acting and whatnot, uh, that also just that further... Uh, weakens its ability to uh, communicate with its audience or to really immerse the audience in a story. 
Yeah, I uh, and I hear what you're saying on that, and I agree. It doesn't age fantastically well because partially because yes, it's just an older film. That's what they do, and partially because it's a genre built so much up on. So it is bound to be harsh as age as time goes by. But in my classes and stuff over at college, one professor is like huge into horror, a really cool guy, and he shows us all these uh, kind of like older film clips of like horror and stuff and it's kind of taught me this weird different kind of appreciation for older horror where it's like wow that's where we see that so like looking at it from like a film buff perspective um Mm -hmm. of just like wow that's so crazy that this is here and stuff like that um because like it's so crazy to do stuff that wasn't precedented that is it's mind-blowing really and it's something uh, lots of filmmakers aspire to do but is really hard to do nowadays so personally I give this a solid 6.5 myself. I but I, with that I want to say it's it's good if you're looking for old horror and you're kind of like buffing up on your horror. If you want a scary slasher that night for like the girl to be scared of and like cuddle up in your arms, she's going to be laughing if you watch this one. So don't or the boy. <laughs> or the boy if 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 you like to do the uh if you like to do the what is it jetpacking? Uh where which, by the way, is something that I found out about recently, which I think is the coolest term ever for, like, the littler person being the bigger spoon. Uh, whoever it may be, the girl or the guy. Or the other. <laughs> or the other. It's uh, it's not the movie you want. Yeah, not not meant for jetpacking. Yeah. Whatever that is. Oh, well, it's just where the littler person is the big spoon, because they're like a jetpack. Oh, that. for some reason I imagined, like, somehow... Someone was getting shot up into the air, but it, huh. I didn't really see it in my brain. You're you're probably jetpacking wrong if that's how you're doing <laughs> that's, <laughs> something went a little haywire. <laughs> if, if you're being shot into the ceiling, then you're doing something wrong. Um, oh my! But our audience did sway a little more towards you. You you gave it a three, which is actually the most votes we have on the rating scale. We did have an outlier of a nine. Someone was all the way up like, this is amazing. Uh, they did shoot up into the ceiling when they watched this. Ooh. Um, they yeah. Got, they got jetpacked real hard. Mm-hmm. But our average ended up being a 4.4. So a little on the lower end, but r- roughly comes about to average, which I think is pretty fair for this movie. I- I'd say so um, overall. Yeah. And, and yeah, I can really see how if you really like seeing where these sorts of things have come from. That, that can be really fascinating uh, for me, even though I, of course, because I, mean, I do this podcast, I love movies. I love talking about movies. But even so, I can't quite appreciate the art form when the art itself I find isn't very good, even if it's the origin for like a kind of art which has had really awesome outcomes, if that yeah. makes sense. No, I get what you mean. And uh, I think it's it's totally okay to look at a piece of art and be like, that sucks, even if it's important. Like, yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like Mona Lisa. She doesn't have any eyebrows. What was this artist <laughs> thinking? <laughs> um, but yeah, so do you want to give us our hot summary and we'll get into it? Sure. Sounds good. It's the night of October 31st, 1963, in the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois. A two-story Victorian stands front and center and is approached by someone. Through the window, they see 17-year-old Judith Myers making out with her boyfriends before she pulls him by the hand and brings him upstairs. The shape, still viewing from outside, 
sees the light in the upstairs window go out and swiftly walks to the back of the home, passing through an open door into the kitchen. It takes a large knife from a drawer and creeps through the living room towards the stairs. Judith's boyfriend comes back down as he puts his shirt back on. The shape remains outside of his view and he tells Judith goodbye and leaves through the front door. The shape walks up the stairs and puts on a costume clown mask before entering Judith's bedroom. Judith sits in front of her vanity mirror, naked and brushing her hair. Once aware of the shape's presence, Judith turns and sees that it's Michael. She's annoyed and covers herself before Michael raises the knife and begins repeatedly stabbing her. She screams and falls to the ground covered in blood. Michael walks out of the bedroom, down the stairs, and leaves through the front door. A car pulls up in front of the house and Mr. and Mrs. Myers exit out of it, finding their six-year-old son standing in the front yard, a bloody knife in hands and a blank expression across his face. Nearly 15 years later, the night of October 30th, 1978, Dr. Sam Loomis and his assistant, Marion Chambers, are driving in the rain to the local sanitarium in Smith's Grove, Illinois. They are to bring Michael Myers, now 21 years old, to a hearing where the future of his incarceration will be determined. As Dr. Loomis explains why Michael should not under any circumstances go free, Marion notices several sanitarium patients wandering the grounds. Dr. Loomis rushes out of the car to see what's going on. After he leaves, a patient jumps onto the car. Marion rolls down the window to see what's going on, and the patient reaches down, pulling on her hair and causing her to drive sporadically. She manages to escape to the other side of the car, but the patient, Michael Myers, smashes through the window. Marion flees the car, and Michael swings inside, driving off into the dark. Dr. Loomis rushes over to Marion to see if she's okay. The following day, on Halloween, 17-year-old Lori Strode leaves her house in Haddonfield to walk to school. On her way out, her father, a real estate agent, tells her to drop off a key at the Myers place, the long-abandoned house, as a family is coming by later to look at it. Tommy, a young kid who Lori will be babysitting tonight, excitedly comes up and walks with her. They come up to the Myers house, and Lori drops off the key as her father directed, while Tommy talks about how he's heard the place is haunted. You're not supposed to go up there. Yes, I am. As they continue their walk, a silhouette observes them from behind the front door. After Tommy splits off from Lori, the shape appears a distance behind, staring after her. I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us. Later that day, while sitting in English class at Haddonfield High, Lori stares out the window towards the street 
where a car from Smith's Grove Sanitarium lies parked. Next to it, she notices someone beside it in a white mask who seems to be staring directly at her. She's startled to her senses when the teacher calls on her. Costain wrote that fate was somehow related only to religion. And when she looks back out the window, the mysterious stranger is gone, along with the car. Hours later, the bell at Haddonfield Elementary rings, and Tommy leaves the school carrying a carving pumpkin. He's followed by three bullies who taunt him and scare him into thinking that the boogeyman is coming to get him tonight. Boogeyman! 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 Tommy runs but trips, falling on and crushing his pumpkin. The bullies laugh and run out of the school gate. Michael, watching from the fence, steps back into his car and follows behind Tommy for a short while before driving off. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis stands at a telephone booth alongside a highway, arguing with someone at the Haddonfield Police Department. You've got to believe me, officer. He is coming to Haddonfield. Frustrated that his warnings of Michael's return are not being treated seriously, Dr. Loomis hangs up. If you don't, it's your funeral. After leaving the booth, he notices a tow truck parked nearby, semi-concealed behind the tall grass alongside the road. Inside, he finds Michael's hospital gown. As this side of the highway heads towards Haddonfield, Loomis's suspicion that Michael is making his way there is confirmed. The doctor returns to his car, having not seen the unclothed body of the tow truck driver lying in the grass nearby. At the same time, Lori leaves school with her friends, Annie and Linda. Linda complains about the difficulties of being popular and involved at school. Linda teases Lori about how it seems all she cares to do is babysit. Annie and Lori then talk about their mutual babysitting assignments. Tonight, Lori will be babysitting Tommy, while Annie babysits Lindsay across the street. As the three talk about their respective plans, the sanitarian car speeds by. Annie yells after it that speed kills, and suddenly the car stops, but a few seconds later continues down the street. The three brush off this strange interaction, and Annie and Linda devise a plan to use the house Annie's babysitting at for Linda and her boyfriend Bob to have sex in. Linda splits off to get to her house while Laurie and Annie continue on. While Annie is looking down, Laurie sees Michael, wearing his mask, standing ahead of them. As she nudges Annie to look up, Michael ducks behind a nearby hedge, and when Laurie and Annie go to look, he's gone. Annie teases Lori for being spooked before she walks off to her house. As Lori turns, she runs into Mr. Brackett, Annie's father, and the Haddonfield Sheriff. Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Still a little spooked, Lori returns home and gazes out of her bedroom window. She sees Michael standing outside, staring at her from the neighbor's backyard between sheets hanging on clotheslines. One moment he's there, the next he's gone. Soon after, the phone rings, and when answered, all Lori can hear is ominous chewing. Who is this? After demanding an answer and receiving none, she hangs up. The phone rings again, but this time when Lori picks up, Annie responds, asking why Lori hung up on her, saying that her mouth was just full. I already lost it. 
My mother's letting me use her car. I'll pick you up. 6.30. Okay. Bye. Bye. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis arrives in Haddonfield and heads to the local cemetery. He asks the graveyard keeper to take him to visit Judith's grave. They discover that Judith's headstone is now missing, which, for Dr. Loomis, means that without a doubt, Michael is here. He came home. Around the same time, Annie arrives to pick up Lori, and the two head out for their babysitting duties while smoking some weed. Lori tells Annie about the man watching her from the neighbor's yard, while at the same time the sanitarium car can be seen in the rearview mirror. As they drive, they pass by Annie's dad, Sheriff Brackett, investigating a break-in at the hardware store. As the two girls continue on, Dr. Loomis approaches Brackett. Pardon me, I'm uh, Loomis, Dr. Sam Loomis. Be Brackett. I'd like to have a word with you if I could. Well, maybe a few minutes. I've got to take It's just important. Ten minutes. I'll be here. As Loomis waits, the sanitarium car passes right behind him. Back in Annie's car, the girls discuss the next day's school dance, and after a lot of pushing from Annie, Lori confesses that she has a crush on a boy named Ben Tramer. Soon after, Annie drops Lori off and pulls into the driveway across the street. As they both walk towards these separate houses, the sanitarium car pulls along the curb. Michael gets out and hides behind a tree on Annie's side of the street, watching her. During this time, Dr. Loomis and Sheriff Brackett arrive at the Myers house, Dr. Loomis seemingly having convinced Brackett of the possibility of Michael's return. The two make their way upstairs to Judith's old bedroom, and as Loomis describes what took place that day, a roof gutter falls away from the house, swinging and breaking the window next to them. Dr. Loomis reactively draws his gun. He explains his obvious fear. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Sheriff Brackett says he can get a radio broadcast out to warn the public. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. Loomis also decides to stay at the Myers house, expecting Michael to return. Meanwhile, Lori reads Tommy one of his old favorite books. Tommy, bored, asks Lori what the boogeyman is. Before she can answer, the telephone rings. It's Annie, and she lets Lori know that she told Ben Tramer about her crush and how he was excited about it. Oh, you didn't. Please tell me you didn't. Simultaneously, Tommy looks out the window and sees Michael, just a silhouette, standing next to the house Lori's babysitting in. He screams for Lori. Lori, down there! Hold on. Lori, the boogeyman's outside. Look! But when Lori looks, he's gone, and she continues talking with Annie. Michael stands outside the kitchen door, observing Annie on the phone with Lori while she makes popcorn. When she reaches for a high cabinet, she spills popcorn butter all over herself. No, no, I just made a mess of myself. I gotta call you back. She then removes her ruined shirt and pants so she can wash them, and puts on an oversized button-up shirt to wear temporarily all while Michael stands outside watching her. Annie then goes to the separate garage unit where the laundry machine is and puts in her buttery clothes, never seeing Michael peering through the door or window. After getting her clothes in, Annie goes to leave, but the door is locked from the outside. Lindsay! Annie calls out for Lindsay, but due to the movie Lindsay is watching, her calls go unheard. Luckily, Paul calls Lindsay's house, asking for Annie. Lindsay finds Annie locked in the garage and releases her. 
Paul calls again and tells Annie that his parents aren't home and that she should come pick him up. Annie, excited about the opportunity, takes Lindsay across the street so Lori can watch her. Lori is reluctant, but Annie says she might talk to Ben Tramer to tell him that she was just joking about Lori liking him if she watches Lindsay for her. Lori agrees to these terrible terms, and Annie returns to the garage to get her car. After retrieving her keys, she enters the car and wipes fog from the windshield. Michael emerges from the back of the car and strangles her before slicing her throat with a knife. Soon after, Linda and Bob arrive, slightly inebriated, and are ready to enact their plans for having sex inside the house Annie's babysitting in. Once they go inside, they find all the lights turned off and no one there. Rather than being too worried, they see this as an opportunity and fall onto the couch whilst making out, as Michael watches from nearby. As Lori, Tommy, and Lindsay finish carving some jack-o'-lanterns and go to finish their movie, the phone rings. It's Linda, who wants to know where Annie and Lindsay are. Lori tells her that Lindsay's with her and that Annie went to pick up Paul. This is great news for Linda, who hangs up and leads Bob upstairs. After having sex, Linda asks Bob to get them beers from downstairs. I'll be right back. Don't get dressed. After Bob retrieves two beers from the refrigerator, he hears a shuffling noise. He checks outside of the kitchen door, but no one's there. Okay, Linda. Come on out. Suddenly, Michael appears next to him and pins him against the pantry door, holding him off the ground by the throat. He then stabs a large knife through Bob, stapling his now limp body to the door. Michael goes upstairs to the bedroom, sheets covering him like a cheap ghost costume while he wears Bob's glasses. Linda thinks it's Bob and finds his silence and lack of movement strange, but humorous. Eventually, though, the silence becomes annoying, and Lori dismisses him and turns to pick up the phone to call Lori to see when Annie will be back with Paul. As soon as her back is to him, Michael moves towards her, and right as Lori picks up, he begins strangling Linda with the telephone cord. Lori thinks Linda is playing a prank on her, likely due to how Linda is screaming. All right, Annie. First I get your famous chewing, now I get your famous squealing. Soon, Linda falls silent, and Michael puts the phone to his ears. After getting no further response, Lori hangs up. At this point, Dr. Loomis spots the sanatorium car down the street from him and begins making his way towards it. After calling Linda back and getting no answer, Lori decides to head to the house herself. Upon reaching the front door, she finds it locked, so she goes around back to go through the kitchen door. Downstairs, she finds no sign of anyone. Most definitely stop being funny, now cut it out! The only light she finds is in the bedroom upstairs, as a lit jack-o'-lantern stares from the bedside table. Annie's lifeless body on the bed, with Judith Meyer's headstone placed next to her. Lori reels back in horror and finds Bob's body hanging from the closet doorway. And finally a cabinet opens where Linda's body has been stuffed inside. Lori panics and backs into the hallway when suddenly Michael swipes at her shoulder, grazing her with his knife. Lori falls over the upstairs balcony and crashes down the stairs, spraining her ankle. Lori runs back to the kitchen door but finds it barred with a rake from outside. As Michael approaches from behind her, she hurriedly breaks through the door's glass panels to push the rake off. She stumbles through the door and screams for help as she runs across the front yard. Decidedly ignored by any neighbor within earshot, she struggles back across the street and screams for Tommy to let her in. 
Roused from his sleep, Tommy slowly makes his way towards the door, while Michael also takes his time making his way towards Lori. Tommy opens the door just in time, and Lori's able to open it and lock it behind her. For a moment, Lori believes herself safe, until she sees in terror that a window lies open. She crouches in front of the couch next to her knitting supplies when Michael lunges from behind her, but gets his knife stuck in the couch. Lori reacts quickly and stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. She grabs the knife and the couch, expecting Michael to get back up, but seeing him motionless, she drops the knife and goes upstairs to check on the kids. Tommy and Lindsay think Lori was attacked by the boogeyman, but Lori assures them that he's dead. You can't kill the boogeyman. At that moment, Michael lumbers towards them. Lori pushes Tommy and Lindsay back into their bedroom and flees to another room. She ponders jumping from the balcony, but instead decides to hide in the closet, tying it shut with a pair of stockings. Unsurprisingly, the closet door proves of little use against Michael as he breaks through it with his hands. Lori grabs a nearby metal hanger, and as Michael reaches for her, she pokes him in the eye with the end of it, causing him to drop his knife. Lori takes the knife and stabs him in the chest. Michael once again falls to the ground. Lori, sure that this time he's really dead, leaves the knife next to his body and tells Tommy and Lindsay to go next door to tell the neighbors to call the police, as the phone lines had been cut. Dr. Loomis sees the kids run out of the house, screaming, and decides to go inside. Lori, her back turned to the almost assuredly deceased killer, slumps against the doorway. Michael, against not all that many odds, rises behind her. Lori moves forward from the doorway, but is grabbed from behind by Michael, who begins to strangle her. Lori fights back and pulls his mask off, revealing a surprisingly human face. Dr. Loomis reaches the top of the stairs, and without a second thought begins shooting Michael. Michael stumbles back as he's shot again and again until Loomis runs out of bullets. He falls from the balcony and hits the ground, lying motionless, and without a doubt, is really dead this time. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. The doctor looks back and sees in horror that Michael has vanished yet again, which to him is entirely unsurprising. Lori begins sobbing, and the movie ends with shots of the neighborhood houses as the sound of Michael Myers breathing behind his mask becomes louder and louder. Michael Myers is still out there. Silly Michael, always getting poked. <laughs> I find it interesting how often, and like you reflected it in your summary, how much they set up the characters via their drama, you know? Like, mm -hmm. but I like Ben, but I'm going to sleep with this guy. And then it's just like, but I drive a car. And it's just like, what? And like, it's. Sure, you get to know your character some, but it doesn't. It's not in a meaningful manner, is what bothers me. It doesn't establish their character beyond just mm -hmm. being gossipy high school kids. Yeah, which you can convey so much quicker, quicker, quicklier, quicklier. Yeah, <laughs> it's the uh, it's the adverb form used <laughs> in the majority. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would laugh at all of their characters i mean even uh 
even Lori, right? She's supposed to be like the the character who's not bad, or at least not like a normal high schooler as they saw back then, or a troublesome high schooler as they saw back then. Yeah. But it comes off, especially nowadays, as very silly. Uh, just because it's like, that's sort of, you know, I'm not like other girls, sort of thing. <laughs> I'm quirky. Uh, you know, guys don't like me because I'm too smart. <laughs> and it's just like, Been there, obviously, <laughs> that's very silly. That's why all the girls don't like me. I'm just too smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm too sure smart. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start telling myself that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, overall, it, uh... They do a lot right. I do think they, they give the setup too much time and their body dump is really well done. I really like the body dump. Mm-hmm. They they do bring back Michael a couple too many times. I think that later on we realize like <laughs> once is enough if we're even going to do that. And not only that, but that Lori not once, but twice left his knife with him. Yeah. <laughs> thinking that silly. this time he was definitely dead. <laughs> It's it's kind of also birthed that that whole thing with how you would scream at your TV in horror movies of like, why would you do that? Like, don't open that door with oh, the yeah. scary noises behind it or like, you know, that that sort of a thing. It's like, don't leave your knife next to the killer who may <laughs> or may not be dead. And uh, like today we have such a mentality of like so many people are so apathetic in these situations, understandably so, because I'm definitely in this category, of, like, if I think I killed someone who was trying, like, hunting me and trying to kill me, I would kill them some more and just, like, put the knife through their throat a few times and be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just keep that. Just keep, keep it like that. So, yeah, that's... There's some very silly things that happen, no doubt about it. Yeah. I Now, to give the movie credit, they do redeem this somewhat uh, because Dr. Loomis, who more so knows how the evil of Michael Myers keeps him alive and whatnot, like this sort of driving force behind him. As soon as he sees Michael, he just starts shooting. Yeah. And that part's a little more redeeming because admittedly, while it's obviously very dumb for her to leave a knife next to the body of a killer who she didn't even check the pulse of, you know, she hasn't been in that situation before. She doesn't know what it takes to kill a not even a man like some form of an evil force whereas dr loomis knows even subconsciously or consciously that even the gun probably won't kill him but he just empties into him so that that part sort of redeems it i agree and i think you touched on something there that i think the movie actually does well is it really assigns michael despite the fact that he's an escaped asylum dude uh he is just a force like he isn't he's not a person he's he's a force that's just yeah, he's how it is the shape as yeah, he's known exactly um and so i thought uh i think that they did a good job of kind of conveying that and making you feel that at least even if it felt silly sometimes you definitely felt that like okay he's not he's like there's something weird going on here he's he doesn't feel human and also something i like about a lot of older movies they're not shy of taking their time with their shots yeah taking their time with their story Sometimes it can create a snooze fest, and in this movie, it can get a little snoozy sometimes, but there definitely is a good amount of suspense building that is effective, him like staring at them and stalking uh, specifically Lori is effective in building up that suspense, building up that fear within the character, Mm -hmm. 
that that's pretty cool. And I could also see how other movies may have built upon that aspect of fear. Uh, what I found interesting, because of course, he's a forest, not quite human, and he's supposed to come off as not very human. That's why he doesn't talk at all. Uh, he has blank expressions like, you know, he's the boogeyman. But when you remove the mask, he looks surprisingly regular. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's interesting that they went with that. You know, it's not the obvious choice. Yeah, he didn't he didn't look like a crazed lunatic or anything um, or like inhuman even. Yeah. Uh, well, no, when they took it off, he was he was almost just like, oh, God, my mask. And like the thing I saw in his eyes when his mask was coming off was fear. Like that's his priority is keeping that mask on mm -hmm. because that's his face for him is how I saw it. So, yeah, I think that was it was really cool. That the kind of like psychology they gave him. One thing that confuses me about his his abilities, his mindset is in the beginning. He uh he takes a car and like they I don't think do they have automatic in 78 probably not yeah like can you drive stick in no <laughs> i recently learned uh but it's it's very it's not intuitive you definitely have to have someone teach you you have to know the workings of it mm -hmm. to begin with and there's a lot of like kind of like feel that you have to get behind it um once you have it it's it's really easy to pick up it's just like tricky the first like i don't know few hours you do it or something mm -hmm. um but he was locked up since he was a kid. And then he's just like, I'll, I'll take that car. And then he just knows. He just knows how to take the car. He's just like, okay. The, the, <laughs> who taught him? Who taught him in the asylum? Did Samuel Loomis was like, like, I'm sure if I teach him how to drive, it'll cure him. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Oh, man. I want to know where he learned. I, I will say uh, there is a possibility that the movie slightly explained this. Not well, but slightly. The guy, Dr. Loomis, talks about how he, like, had to drive Michael around to, like, these hearings or whatever. Um, like, he, he talked about that very briefly. I forget what it was about. Mm. And then he was arguing with one of the doctors. And he's like, how did he even learn how to drive anyway? And he's like, I don't know, but he did pretty well. Someone must have trained him. Mm -hmm. I think the idea, because otherwise I don't know why they would bring it up as to this obvious flaw uh, other than being meta, I think the idea may be that Michael learned how to drive by looking at him drive. Yeah, it's quite possible. And I like that's a great explanation for me. I just find it kind of funny. It and is. Like, <laughs> the uh, tossing a manual in reverse, it uh, it's very much a thing you have to get a feel for. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I just find that kind of funny. I don't think it ruins a movie by any means, but I was, I was just yes. like, hmm. Michael, you get out of that car. You go on foot. It is pretty silly. Um, it would have it would have been interesting to yeah, just had he, he just like walks down the highway. Yeah. And maybe in that case, what they could have done is like Doctor and Lemus, like you know, Marion, like his assistant, they show up, and then there's patients walking around, and then like the camera just changes to like in the dark and in the rain. Michael's just walking down the highway. Yeah, and I think that could have actually been like really cool for the like not human thing. Yeah, idea we're getting off of him. I will say. I think they use the score really well. And like some of our audience was kind of getting a little tired of it. And I understand that because they do use it a lot. Mm -hmm. But they have this wonderful way of. So the score means Michael. Yeah. Uh, it's just like he's there if the score is on. Um, and they do a few times where the score starts playing, but we don't necessarily know where Michael is yet. But like that tells us like, oh, he's in the vicinity. Like we should be scared. Mm -hmm. And then there are other times when like the score is not playing. And then. 
out of nowhere, like we see him in the scores playing. Like, and it was just like, oh God, like what? The score itself is great. And I really like the way they use it. So props to John Carpenter for that. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I did like how, how it was used. Um, I think it was used effectively as a storytelling method. It was good stuff. Uh, I thought the kills were pretty solid. That was uh, that's what I was going to say. It took me a moment. Mm-hmm. There was the kill where he's like hanging from the knife. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that one. I de- definitely couldn't support my weight. And he doesn't look too much smaller than me. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> that was, you know, and the thing is, I like the idea behind that death. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is, uh, unfortunately, and this is somewhat a result of it being an independent movie with not as big of a budget as other films, but also likely because of the acting and directing uh, of the death scenes. Um, the actual execution of the death was, again, unbelievable in the bad way. You can have that concept for a death, and it can be really good, like if you uh, you know, add impact behind that knife going through him and, like, pushing it all the way through him, like, and, like, you know, wood breaking behind him or something. Just impact to, like, make it even if it's unrealistic in real life, you make it feel realistic. You make it yeah. feel like he just got stapled to a door. The realism doesn't matter. It's the believability. Yeah. And uh, no, I'd agree that they, they could have been done better. I liked the idea behind it. But yeah, it was definitely like, I don't know. I don't know about this one here. Which was the same with all their deaths, in my opinion. Like, I think that the one exception to that is the strangling phone cord death, because that one was just bad. <laughs> Because if you can scream that much while you're being strangled, <laughs> then you're definitely not being strangled, right? Um, I think, yeah, and, and that was, I think, uh, anytime he was strangling someone, they made noise that you wouldn't be able to make while being strangled. <laughs> and that's not the worst thing, but, like, she strangles, she she screams during the, her strangling for a good, like, 30 seconds and doesn't yeah. bother to use this noise that she can make to tell Lori, like, hey, Lori, I'm being strangled to death. Send help. She just uses it to keep screaming. <laughs> Not only scream, but scream not in a way that you would expect. It definitely wasn't like a life-threatening scream. Definitely sounded like a moany, maybe even pleasurable scream. Yeah, it which, was... uh, which had me laughing out loud. Yeah. Like I was, I lost it there. I was. I, I mean, I was sitting there like Michael. She likes it, dude. Stop. I'm doing it. <laughs> 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 oh man well honestly and i don't have that much more to say about this movie i think it's pretty cut and dry you know i feel like while it was a, i don't know the runtime of it but it felt like a longer movie because of how snoozy it could be at times mm-hmm. it's very easily divided up into just a few key things so i i honestly don't have too much more to say about it i can't think of anything off the top of my head do you the thing is is that this movie has a lot of tropes that of course back then were completely original so there is a lot, a lot to be said with that. And even ones that are uh, less obvious, for instance, um, when Laurie is sitting in class and looks out the window and he's there, uh, and then the and then the teacher, like, in the background is talking about, yeah, uh, I think she says something like, no matter what action Collins took, he was destined to his own yeah, fate. They're talking about destiny and fate. Yeah, and, like, stuff like that. Um, and, like, you know, you see that in, like, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very different movie um but it's it's so cool uh and i i can see why this would also help you enjoy this movie to sort of see how even movies made that long after and movies that um are very different to this movie still 
even in, even if it was indirectly take from this movie yeah um, and, and used effectively and i mean like we the body dump for example i always talk about the body dump because it's so crucial for slashers um mm-hmm. i mean like that's just so genius to do and you see the classic like get up because it makes them inhuman and it that just create it makes for one last scare that's just so wonderful to do is there's there's a lot of wonderful things that it does there it just doesn't do them in an exciting manner like we're used to mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah i mean i think it deserves a lot of respect for kind of pioneering slashers yeah um yeah and and while my rating may be low uh just just because of uh the it, it really just comes down to all the moments that bring me out of the movie yeah so that lowers my rating but even with that it's definitely a movie that i respect mm-hmm. um and it's it's definitely better than texas chainsaw massacre so. yeah i <laughs> we did have an audience member say like man i would rather watch texas chainsaw massacre and i was i was like take it back no take it back say that. Never watch it. <laughs> never again uh yeah if you, if you want to see where texas chainsaw massacre lies uh especially now uh check out our tier list discord <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious as to what takes the title over texas chainsaw massacre for the worst one yeah what what ends up being our number one but yeah. in the exact wrong way exactly <laughs> number one out of ten <laughs> um well are, uh, are you ready to turn it on over to the uh surveys ian see what our audience had to say on it sure let's do it we asked how scary it was. So to recap, we they gave it a 4.4 4, uh, over a lot of threes. And then we had the outlier of a nine, but it was mainly in that kind of like mid to low range. Mm-hmm. We asked how scary it was. Most people gave it, gave it ones and twos. We had a, a three and a four out there, but it was mainly ones and twos. So it wasn't too scary, unsurprisingly, because it's just not a scary film. Uh, not for us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have, so that made my job really tricky of coming up with paths of fear for it because I was like, yes. hold on. <laughs> what, okay. what scared you about this movie? Well, was it Michael coming for you or watching you? <laughs> <laughs> um, or was it Michael not dying? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I went with being hunted, feeling powerless, and knowing somewhere not too far there is a pure evil. Because I feel like that was kind of one that like is an interesting thing that if anything is going to resonate with you, maybe it's that. I feel like in that one, you're trying to like come up with one for like hearing the the score, you know, like you yeah. start you start hearing the score is like when that kicks in. Yeah, I it was the thing that I think could resonate with you the most throughout this movie. I don't think anything does, though. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so which do you think took the cake in? I think you've got oh, this gosh. One. Uh Being powerless. Yeah, perfect, Ian. I was, yep. was going to be so I, disappointed if you didn't say that, because in the past I've episode, learned this lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned this lesson. Yep. If 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 that's ever on the questionnaire, uh, you pick it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Which didn't take the cake, Ian? What was the last, the least? I feel like the pure evil one's not actually... I think... I don't know if anyone's experienced something close enough to that to have that be scary. No, yeah, that's for sure. It. And yeah, I don't think we have. I think that when you do feel it, I feel like horror isn't your genre anymore, honestly. Yeah. Because it could be pretty scarring. And the thing, I think this happens uh, recently, too, with one of our questionnaires. It was, like, being possessed or something. And and that's what you mentioned is that, like, I mean, while that would be terrifying, it's hard to imagine it. Yeah, you can't you can't empathize with it. Um, 
like I'm I'm thinking of like the closest to any pure evil I've felt in my life. I was I was like once ten feet from a mountain lion while I was playing hide and seek. Um, but it wasn't evil; it was just a mountain lion, and I was scared because I was prey, as far as I was concerned. But I didn't. I never looked yeah. at that mountain lion. It was like that thing wants to kill me. Um, I mean, and I feel like the closest like that you get to like being next to pure evil is like being next to a sus person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Like you just get a bad vibe from them. Michael's giving off some pretty bad vibes. That's fair. We had our open-ended question, and this is where I think I got to have my fun. Because I got to finally ask, what's your slasher emergency plan? Where do you run to? How do you fight back, etc.? Does it rely on your attacker being constrained by human limits? Today, if someone wants to hurt you, they, like in a slasher way, like well, because no one wants to do it in a slasher way. They don't want to. They don't want to cut you up or something. They're just gonna shoot you. Um, yep. So like against a gun, is someone coming at you with a gun? There's not too much you can do, honestly. But for the sake of argument, let's say they are coming at you in some slasher manner. I personally have learned to defend myself against a knife pretty decently. That doesn't mean that you want to do it still. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get pretty messed up in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, my like my priority is like get them into a state where they can't fight as quick as I can uh, for X amount of time and then get away. Just try to judge those two so that I get away in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a balance between running and trying to fight. Uh, how about you, Ian? Do you have like any go to's you would do? What's the, what's the picture of the scenario here? Like, is, am I like let's, in a room? You're at home, let's say, and like you, and like for some reason, there's someone around the home trying to get you. I mean, like, I I won't know if they have anything on them, like, like weapon or otherwise. I think the first thing that I try to do is uh, leap into the nearest room, right, wherever that is, uh, lock the door behind me, and you know and really like force something up against the knob as quickly as I can, trying to stay low in case they shoot through the door, barricade it up like that, immediately like after throwing everything can at the door, try to call someone if I have my phone on me. Yeah. Uh, if I don't, I'll think about an escape route, like, hey, can I go out the window? Is that realistic? Also, like if I'm in an apartment or something, I can like start banging on walls, ceilings, screaming, whatnot. If I'm in a house and I'm like in the middle of nowhere, uh, that's when I start thinking about, all right, well, what kind of weapon can I make? Oh, what kind of weapon can I get? Uh, and then, like, you know, if the person, like, breaks in, you know, or, like, I need to leave at some point for whatever reason. I probably also try to get, like, some sort of shield that might be able to stop a bullet if it hits it correctly or, you know, would at least help. And then if I see that, like, he's better at, like, the hand-to-hand stuff or, like, whatnot, like, a striker, that's when I try to just get really close and try to see if I can use my strength to grapple and like get to a chokehold that get to an arm bar or something and go from there. But there you go. It's my whole plan. I drive with it. I think that calling for help is important. And that's one I often overlook. That's really your best bet. In self-defense, the first thing that you should always do is, is get out. If at all possible Mm. is leave and scream basically. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not flashy. It's not, but it's survival. Um, and that's, what's important. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, misconception around self-defense is people think that it's like if i'm attacked i i win but like winning is getting away it's not killing the other person so <laughs> so we had some interesting responses our first is i have a gun in my basement which reminds me i do have guns around the house but they're in a gun locker and i don't think i have time to put in the combination that i don't remember uh, uh, that, that's the irony about gun <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um, i gotta defend my house better, better open my locker <laughs> um 
But so it's, I have a gun in my basement. I'm immediately going there, keeping my back to the wall and shooting anything that moves. Now, of course, if the killer is anything other than human, I'm going to die a painful death. But it still probably won't be worse than watching Michael stand still for an hour and a half like I had to do while watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. He did, he did do a lot of standing. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a reverse jetpack. Mm hmm. Our next one is, I'm not very strong, and I'm the opposite of fast. Uh, I, I maybe I don't know if they're doing lyrics here, if this is really just a side note. She's not a runner, not a track star vibes, you know? Well, try, try to sing it. She's not a runner, not a track star vibes, you know? But like, you know, like the angsty, like 2000s singing it. Like maybe Green Day could sing it? Yeah, that's the, I, I don't know why. I was, I was just talking about like that girl who seems like a loser, but then she takes her glasses off and you realize she's smoking hot kind of thing, you know? Like they're singing about that girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because like with her glasses on, it was very, very obvious that she was a nerd. So. Oh, yeah. And obviously, yeah. And ner nerds can't be hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was, that was a thing for a while. That was correct uh, me. Um, so my slash emergency plan is to get in the car and run. And since that probably wouldn't work against a smart serial murderer, I would simply, and then I'm going to say this in the way that they try to convey it, pass away. Like, I don't, there's a whole lot of like interesting symbols around pass away that I can't, there's, there's asterisks, there's these little star looking things. I think it's just a very defeated pass away. It could be. I'm getting the vibe of just, it's almost like they just, hit their joint you know and then they said pass away uh that's, that's, the, that's, that's the feeling i get from it. pass away yeah exactly <laughs> um the, the, this next one is a gun unload the clip into the guy headshots for sure don't stop when he's down if that fails big metal bat so i can keep my distance while attacking harley quinn style that's fair uh a bat hmm. a metal bat is actually a really great weapon that we underestimate uh because a bat's are not easy to defend against a knife is small so it's kind of like easy to keep it out of range and stuff but like if you go big with like a big pipe it's hard to lug around but a bat moves quick and it keeps them at a distance so it's a solid weapon yeah although i will say i mean i mean what if he has like a great sword you know <laughs> great sword does beat bat you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you never know the next is just run to my freaking gun cabinet, which if you can put in the combination fast enough, that's awesome. I can't. <laughs> it's going to take me five tries at least. <laughs> so I'll, be, I'll just be sitting there twisting. Just you wait. Yeah. Just you wait until I open this cabinet. Um, our next is I just use my BJJ move. I think there's Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves on the slasher. They'll never stand a chance, even if they have inhuman abilities. That's uh, right lock them up brazilian jiu-jitsu is some pretty good stuff uh i i took a little bit of it it is it's impressive uh <laughs> i wouldn't count on it in a knife fight <laughs> you stand a better chance than most but i still wouldn't like i i have trading but i definitely do not want to be in a knife fight that sounds suckish um <laughs> <laughs> you fool you brought your knife to a jiu-jitsu fight <laughs> um you can't use your knife if you're in a triangle chokehold. No, you, exactly. You except, <laughs> except you can. <laughs> Stand your legs. No, shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Uh, um, <laughs> the run and keep running down the street yelling. Also, yes, it won't work if I'm running from some superhuman. Uh, 
you kept it simple. You know what? I can admire that and just run. You know, I mean, it's not a bad plan. I would I would keep the yelling down some just because you're going to tire yourself out quicker. It's true. And <laughs> like if he knows you're just going to keep yelling, he can kind of just walk behind and just follow the screams for what you're <laughs> He can kind of take it slow. Yeah, I'll, I'll get him later. Oh. They'll fall down know. eventually. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, yelling, you are drawing attention to yourself, which is great. So definitely That's I don't. It's want. not bad. Just don't. Don't yell to the point where you can't breathe while you're running. True. Which true. is hard to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean. It's um one of the things I actually learned in my self-defense is you really have to watch out for your breathing because so many people, uh, they'll lose a fight because they're not breathing right because uh, it's hard to keep track of your breath. And yeah, and if oxygen doesn't get to your brain, you're like, yeah. you know, pass yourself out. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, in. And your neighbors ought to be better than the ones in this movie. Yes. She's just like, she's just screaming for help outside. They're like, these damn kids always screaming on Halloween night. (laughs) Close off the lights, dear. We're leaving them outside. Um, Our next is gun. Just shoot them. It's really that simple. And don't hide in a closet or somewhere you can't get out of. And that actually brings me to an interesting point about the movie. Uh, She does hide in that closet. Mm-hmm. But they at least had the knowledge that that would be stupid had she not opened those doors. Don't, I, I I still don't think it was the brightest <laughs> thing, but at least she there was some thought behind getting in the closet other than he won't know I'm in a closet in this room. I'm always curious about the dumb decisions I would make in a horror movie because I don't put it past myself to make one. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what it would be. Uh, our next one is my slasher emergency plan is always in effect. Avoid human contact. <laughs> you know, I guess if no one wants to get you, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, I have to say that none of the paths of fear really felt they fit, which I understand. Uh, there wasn't anything too scary. Uh, I was just scared that something mm. would happen to the dog and it did. And that was sad to see oh, the man. dog's legs go limp. That was messed up. You might have noticed I didn't even include the dog in the summary. <laughs> I did. I was like, no, I don't think we need to put anyone through that again. It was sad. It, was, it wasn't even that important to the story. No, I think I'll just leave it out. It was just sad. You shouldn't see a dog's legs go limp like that. It's just terrible. God. Yes, it was. It was unnecessarily sad. It's just. I get uh, that. Like it shows he, it shows he's inhuman. It shows. Uh, and it shows he's ruthless and stuff, but god damn, that's so sad. I at least wish that like the dog like leaped on top of him and was like trying to rip at him mm. and he had to like fight it instead of like, oh this dog's barking at me. I guess I better kill it. Mm-hmm. You know? Sad, sad, sad. Um Or maybe like maybe like you could add to the mystique behind his like objectives. Maybe he like pets the dog and like you know, and the dog's like, actually, you know what? You're not so bad. And like runs off. It could be kind of cool. Uh, yeah. So he's he's out for the human kills. That, I would have liked that, man. I would have added like two points. And honestly, I feel like we would have. Uh, I feel like with a horror movie has done that. I want to. I can't remember what, but I, I think I've seen that somewhere. I would enjoy that. Um, so our next one is and I was expecting a lot more of these kinds of answers is honestly, I don't think there's any way I would survive a slasher movie. But I guess my best <laughs> chance would be to immediately find as many melee weapons as possible and make sure I was somewhere they couldn't get behind me. My reasoning being that in slashers, the following don't ever work. 
screaming, getting help, running, or locking the doors. I like that you get a quantity of melee weapons. You just get whatever can be a melee weapon. And like, all right, cool. I have that now. You're like, you've just like got all these things attached to you. You've got like a lead pipe <laughs> on your back and like several like butter knives strapped to your wrist and everything. And then like, you know, you can like barely move, but you're like, come at me. See, I like the idea of them being like up in the attic or something with their back mostly to the wall. And there's just a whole bunch of random stuff from like a fishbowl to a baseball bat and stuff. <laughs> and like just sitting there before they come get you thinking like if he has a knife, I'll use the, I'll use the fishbowl. And if <laughs> but if he's if he's got like a big pipe, I will use the bat. I'm just thinking like rock, paper, scissors, like what beats what? But he just like shows up and completely throws you off because he's got a fucking great sword. <laughs> <laughs> Our last one, which is pretty OK, is aim for the testicles. Yeah, that's that's actually great self-defense that I don't think enough people consider. I've been kicked in the balls and it sucks. I won't. I don't sure. want to keep fighting if I'm kicked in the balls. <laughs> you know what? All right. Go I ahead. Have and to kill me. Will. I've already <laughs> lost. It <laughs> sucks. Um. But yeah, they, they did specify the strategy does rely on my attacker being constrained by human anatomy, which, yeah, if you're being attacked by something non-human, someone said it earlier, you're you're pretty screwed. Just because what do we do against non-humans? The things we don't understand. Because mm. um, I like on the scale of like how deadly we are in nature, I think we like line up with pigs like we're like a three. Uh, we're pretty wimpy if we don't have like all our tools and stuff, if it's just us. Like, our most deadly thing is our bite, because our mouths are super dirty. <laughs> and the Komodo dragon does that just a little better. <laughs> Did you say because our mouths are dirty, like, we're gonna give them, like, tuberculosis or something? No, like, actually, like, our our mouths are bacteria-filled, so, like, that's our best weapon against anything, is to hope it dies of infection. <laughs> because we, <laughs> we did it. Like that's like otherwise we don't have much. We don't have claws to cut things open. We don't have enough strength to like beat most of the things out there that want to kill us. It's true. Like you look at like a silverback gorilla, and you're like, yeah, exactly. That thing just tears you in. I would like, I would hate being attacked by an alligator, a shark, and a silverback gorilla. And that that's the one that stands out because that all at the same time. Oh, all at the same time. I would just, I would. Snap my own neck right there. I'd be done. You kick yourself in the palm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm done. <laughs> um, but no, like a silverback girl, that terrifies me because that's just pure brute strength and that thing just tears you up. Oh my God. What, what is that? There's that one that has like giant fangs. It's a primate. Uh, lives out in Saharan lands. It starts like a G, I want to say. It's got a scary looking face. George? Yeah, George. No. <laughs> That's him, yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering what he was up to nowadays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, mandrills. It doesn't start with the G. I was just straight wrong. Mandrills. Do you, have you seen those things? Nope. Dude, they've got just these massive things. These are terrifying. Like they they look like they're a weapon. Um, but it's funny because like I believe it's bonobos. Uh, it might be Gibbons, but they uh. <laughs> They have a certain call that they make when there's a predator nearby that they're scared of that alerts mandrills to come save them. <laughs> that, like, that's us. We're just like, someone, please, for the love of God, save. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, if I, if like, if, if Michael's after me in my house and I can just scream and like a silverback gorilla busts through my exactly. wall and starts hammering him, I mean, I'll be pretty happy. I'm for like, it. Damn. And then he just gets up. 
<laughs> Gosh dang, not even the silverback can take him. Um, but it's okay, he bit him, uh, so he'll get infected. Um, all in all, we're pretty screwed. Thank you for watching. <laughs> Michael Myers, he's still out there. Watch out. It's true. You you know about his mask, right? I forgot to mention this. Like what his mask is. I always found it funny. I don't know. It looked um like it was made out of like silicone, like costume. Did it stuff. R- remind you of Captain James T. Kirk? Because uh, it's William Shat. It's a William Shatner mask, just bleached. <laughs> 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 Which is just great. That's wonderful. Um, just extra white William Shatner. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh God, he isn't tanned. Oh my God. <laughs> He's been in quarantine for a year. <laughs> he looks terrible. Uh, yeah, I just find that hilarious. That's just great. Anyways, I think that's about all the time we have. Ian, are there any closing words you want to say? We finished up our survey. We had some really great, really great. Yeah. Responses, thank you all for those so much, and thank you all for showing up. We had a lot of people show up today. It was great. Yeah, the last the last thing I'll say is uh, I do love, and of course this is a trope that has even somewhat continued to today, but I love how especially back then like they view normal teenagers as being like <laughs> these insane, sex-crazed, drug-addicted like things. Were you not constantly just like having sex and doing heroin again? What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I missed out. Did I just miss on high school? You weren't I was there just, for prom. I was like the only one doing AP homework. <laughs> like everyone else was like off. Like they were in quote unquote study sessions. Yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly. Now we were studying the effects just, of heroin while you're doing sex. <laughs> <laughs> just doing cocaine off of each other's shoulders. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, you know what? They're probably right. I just, I just missed out. I'm I'm really really sad yeah, about that. It now. is funny because like in reality, especially today, like the high schoolers don't have time for that crap. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sorry, I'd love to attend the orgy, but I got a test tomorrow. <laughs> Appreciate the invite. Um, thank you all so much for watching, guys. We have been Pazafir. Uh, in the description, you'll find our Discord if you want to watch any future horror movies with us and leave your opinion on it. We stream Mondays and ideally Wednesdays, and I've actually been able to these past couple Wednesdays, which sucks. I just forgot because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like right when I get home, I need to start streaming mm-hmm. for the time. So it's like, but right when I get home, I'm just like, oh my god, my dog's there. So like, I just play with my dog for way too long. Um, <laughs> well, hey, at least it's for a sweet reason, yeah, you know, it's some. But uh, so yeah, we stream Mondays and Wednesdays, seven p.m. Mountain Time. And yeah, I think that's all we got. Any any anything else I forgot to say? Marshall, you've forgotten the most important thing. Oh god. Passofear.com. Passofear.com. <laughs> Listen, okay, I've made progress. If you go to passofear.com, you will find a web page. Now, there's nothing on it, mm-hmm. but it's there, people. Just a, that it's a big black screen in the corner it says home, <laughs> and in the center it says website under construction. <laughs> and it looks great. <laughs> There's no spelling errors. Perfect, <laughs> Perfect grammar. Um, n- no extra exclamation points. It's very yeah. modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> very minimalist. But uh, <laughs> very minimalist. <laughs> but uh, but jokes aside, I am working behind the scenes. Um, 
you know, I'm putting together design. Uh, I've got things set up. So the website within, uh, I don't know, I want to say within the next month. Uh, I know that sounds like a lot, but dear Jesus, I've got a lot of shit going on right now. But uh, regardless, I am working to get the site up uh, to get it looking good. Hopefully, I, w- I want it to look professional and everything. So, uh, hey, keep a lookout occasionally when you're feeling uh, when you're feeling down. Uh, search at passivefear.com, and either you will continue feeling down and disappointed, perhaps it'll make it worse, or you'll be overjoyed as passivefear.com has actually been created. Or you might be disappointed that it's great. Who knows? Or yeah, yeah you can, maybe you can just continue to feel down either way. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It, uh, not guaranteed yeah. to, to help at all. But <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> keep a lookout, y'all. I feel like we should have that like big list of like side effects that they put at the end of like like medicine commercials. <laughs> just like it may not help at all. May actually make you want to die. <laughs> <laughs> the side effects of passive fear. Well, yeah. regardless of how this episode has made you feel and how our website will make you feel. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you all so much, and you all have a lovely day. 